Today we're in a series called The Core, where I'm talking about the core purposes of LifePoint. The reason we do the things we do, the things that are going to be at the center of, of all that we do. And on June 11th, you're going to have an opportunity to commit to membership and say, I want to join in on this. I want to be part of this in, in a more committed way. You'll have that opportunity in a few weeks. Today's core purpose is something that we're all familiar with. It's something that really, the, I think, the whole town of Raleigh and, and the Triangle is familiar with. Because on any given week, about maybe up to 18,000 people gather in one place, and they're one in heart, and they're one in purpose. And they come there with one thing in mind, and that's to, to enjoy and focus on one thing for an extended period of time. They all know the same chants. They all know the same songs. They all know the same little dances. And they gather week after week to pay attention to this. Yeah. <laughs> I, this was from the March 29, 2003 Hurricanes versus Buffalo. For some people, hockey is a way of life. Maybe you've got your favorite sport that it's just your way of life. You know what worship is? Worship is extravagant respect or admiration for, or devotion to an object of esteem. And when we get to this first purpose that we're going to talk about, it's reaching up. Because this one's important. This one kind of, all the other ones kind of hinge off of this one. Because if we don't get this one down, the other ones really don't mean a whole lot. If we don't get the part down where where we're reaching up to God giving him attention, giving him our admiration, then the other two, reaching in and reaching out, really don't have the same impact. You know, for you it may not be hockey, but there's something that you give attention to and something that you give admiration to. Today, we're going to create an extended time of worship to help you today for the next few minutes reach up towards God. Reach up and say, God, you are it. You are what I esteem. You are what I have respect for. You are the object of my admiration. You're behind all that I do and all that I am. The psalmist says you are worthy, worthy of all praise. I know that there's people here that are outside the family of God and you still haven't made that decision to to step across the line and become a follower of Christ. And, and when I talk about worship and reaching up, you might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? You know, it's okay. Because at LifePoint, we want to come beside you and wherever you are in your journey called life, and we want to help you grow. Because we're all growing. We're all moving forward. We're all trying to grow. We all deal with doubts. We all have struggles. And we understand right where you are, if you hear me talk about worship and you think, you know, I just don't get that whole worship thing. God's really not worthy of all praise because I don't even know him that well. We want to do this today to help you understand that each person has a connection with God wherever they are in the journey. Wherever you are in life, you, you can have a connection with God and you can be connected with him in a whole new way through worship. 
if you're a follower of Christ, or even if you're not, you need to know that you were created to connect. You were created to have a connection with that which created you. The New Testament says it like this. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Not only were we created by God, we were created for him. And inside of each of us, there's this eternal, this, this, this homing device that's in our soul that's, that's deep within us that makes us long for the one who created us. And God's image is stamped on the heart and soul of every human being, whether they know him or not, whether they seek him or not, his image is stamped. And we live our lives. Everybody has this desire to reach out to something greater, to reach out to that which created them. You know that longing that we all have, that you have, that I have, that that longing for more, that longing for something else, that longing for something greater, that longing you thought would be fulfilled when you graduated and thought, if I can finally if I can just finally get out of the house and I don't have mom and dad telling me what to do and, and, you know, then things will be better. And then you go to college and you got professors, you know, telling you what to do. And then you get married and then you got somebody telling you what to do. So we, we all deal with the longing that we think there's something next. There's something next that's going to help me fill this up. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the next income level or the next purchase, the next vacation. And we live with the, a longing inside of us that can only be filled up by God. And problems come into our lives and discontentment comes into our lives when we try to fill that space that God created for Him. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. All of us are going to seek to find something greater than ourselves because God put eternity in us. God placed something inside of us that makes us reach out. In cultures all over the world, people reach out for something greater. And that's usually through worship. Sometimes it's through worship of something they don't understand, has nothing to do with God, our creator. But because inside of every human, God put eternity, they reach out to something bigger and greater than what they are. Everybody worships something. God wired us up that way. He wired us up with this ache inside of us that longs for more. We're going to spend the rest of our lives declaring the worth of something. For the rest of our lives, we're going to declare to the people around us what we value. And if that something is not greater than this world, if that something is not God, we are going to be left with emptiness. Only through seeing who God is, how he fits in our lives, and seeing that he's the one that we can reach up to to find fulfillment. Not the next thing in life. One of the writers of the psalm said it this way. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. Everywhere from east to west. Praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is far greater than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Far below him are the heavens and the earth. He stoops to look and he lifts the poor from the dirt and the needy from the garbage dump. We're those needy people sometimes. He sets them among the princes, even the princes of his own people. Praise the Lord. There's a lady in my life that I will never forget. Her name is Mrs. Woodward, and I don't even know her first name. When I was 10 years old, like maybe some other uh, others in here, my parents split up. My dad left the family. They got a divorce. And that can be hard for a 10-year-old to digest and hard for a 10-year-old to understand why all that's happening. But Mrs. Woodward, my fifth grade teacher, recognized that. And she knew that I needed a little bit extra attention. And she gave it. She would pay more attention to me in the classroom. She would call me up at home, call my mom, ask how I was doing. She would bring me gifts. She would just give me that extra little bit of attention that helped me get through a difficult time. And I've never forgotten Miss Woodward. If anybody ever says, what's your favorite teacher? That's the first person that comes to my mind, Mrs. Woodward. I'll remember her for the rest of my life. I'll never forget the attention and the, she gave to me and the way she made me feel. Jesus was with his disciples the night he was betrayed. And they were sitting in a room and they were getting ready to have a meal. And he took the bread and he took the wine and he started to talk about what this bread and this wine were going to mean. He took the bread and he said, this, this is not just a piece of bread. This, this represents my body. And then he took the wine and he said, this represents my blood, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, so you can have forgiveness. And while all that was going on, the the disciples probably didn't quite get what he was talking about, but he ended up saying something to them that stuck. And he said, when you come together, do this in remembrance of me. And so for thousands of years, Christians have been gathering together to remember. And I would imagine for the rest of those disciples' lives, just like I'll never forget Miss Woodward, they probably never forgot that night in that room. And every time they put a piece of bread in their mouth or touched wine to their lips, 
they remembered what Jesus did for them. And they remembered that night and they honored his request. And we honor that request of Jesus every week. That's one of the ways that we reach up every week is we honor Jesus' request to remember him. If you're not a follower of Christ today or if you're not, you don't completely understand what we're doing with this, that's fine. Just let the cup pass you by as they come down. But for those of you that are inside of Christ and in the family of God and know what that means, remember him. As the band plays, just remember what he's done for you. Remember from where he's brought you. Remember the times he's delivered you. Remember the times he's forgiven you. Remember the times when you thought there was no hope left and you found it because of him.
During Jesus' ministry on earth, he was kind of always doing what the religious people thought he wasn't supposed to be doing. And one day he sat down by a well because he was thirsty. And this woman was there and he engaged in a conversation with her. And as they began to talk, he, he began to tell her about her sinful lifestyle and, and how she needed to leave it. And while, while he was telling her that, she realized this guy is different. There's something special about this guy. This guy must be a prophet. And so the first thing she starts to think about is worship. And she says to him, well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews tell us that we have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And she's trying to find out from Jesus, where is the place I can go to worship? Because just like us, she had that, that, that emptiness inside of her that she had tried to fill up with relationships and it didn't work, relationship after relationship, until she was empty. And then when she found a, a leader in Jesus, somebody she thought was a prophet, she immediately wanted to know about worship, about reaching up. And her fathers worshiped on this mountain, and the Jews said, no, you have to worship in Jerusalem. And what she's asking is, how do I worship? Where do I worship? Where's the place that I can go to connect with God? And listen what Jesus says to her in John chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying to her, there's not a God location you can go to. There's not a place where you can go and say, this is where God dwells. And since God is here, now I can worship. He's saying that's, that's not the right understanding. He was telling her it's, it's different now. Yeah, I know your fathers worshiped on this mountain, and I know the Jewish people would tell you you have to go to the temple to worship, but Jesus is saying it's different because God is spirit. God is everywhere. God is right here, and that's where you can worship him, wherever you are. Now, that doesn't mean we just have to throw off every time we meet together and worship and sing praises and, and, and get together because getting together is also worship. But the best worship we can have, the best reaching up we can have takes place outside of here, not in here. So why, why do we even come? Why couldn't you just, you know, stay at home and worshiped early and then headed out to the lake, right? Since it takes place mostly out there and not in here. Well, being together, being together corporately, singing together, having our thoughts directed, enjoying each other's company, that's worship. But we also we can also hear from God when we're together like this. At a time like this when we worship and we focus a lot on music and we focus a lot on prayer and we focus a lot just up to God, that can soften people's heart. That can take somebody that their heart may be hard towards God and maybe they're living a passionless life and, and a time like this in this setting can take somebody and put them on a completely different level with God. 
Another thing that can happen is, are, are, is for those of us that are followers of Christ. It's just encouraging. It feels good to be together. It feels good to worship together, to sing praises to God together, to enjoy communion together, because we are created. We were created to connect with God. Connect individually out there, but also here together in a group setting. When we join together with teaching and with praise to let God know that we love Him, to let God know that we adore Him, to let God know that we want to praise Him. Another thing this setting does when we talk about reaching up, this setting can also help make the teachings of Christ relevant to people who think that Christianity is a 2,000-year-old religion that doesn't have anything to say to 21st century culture. This setting, this place, us being together and going through what we've gone through for the last 50 minutes can help people see that Jesus is relevant. Jesus does have something to say. But also... When we leave here, God is there, and worship is there too. It's not like God hangs out in the theater and watches movies all week. I mean, it's not like, you know, he like turns out the lights, and then we get back and say, hey, glad to see you. How's your week been? You know, now come in for an hour and worship me. That's not what God had in mind at all when he asked people to gather together to worship him. This is kind of like the place, it's like the launching pad. It's the place we get together and the place where we make Christ relevant, the place where we hear from God, the place where we're encouraged, the place where our hearts are softened. And then it's a launching pad to go out and live a life of worship. The Bible talks more about living a life of worship and worship being all of life than it does about an hour a week. There's more to say about how to live a life of worship than there is about how to have a worship service. In fact, I don't even know in the Bible if there's anywhere where it says, here's what you do for a worship service. But there's a lot of places it says, here's how you live your life in a way that's worship to God. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, the lady that Jesus met with, she was talking about worship, and she said, where do I go to worship? And then here's that word again. This is your spiritual act of worship. The Bible was originally written, not in English, probably knew that, but it was written in Greek, the New Testament anyway, and those, those words are not the same two words. She was asking Jesus, where do I go to fall flat on my face before God and ask him to forgive me? Where do I go to worship him and show him that I'm thankful that he's forgiven me? Where do I go to invite him into my life? That's what she was asking. That word literally means to fall flat on your face before God. This word in Romans, where it says your spiritual act of worship, is the same word for service. So living as a living sacrifice is a spiritual act of worship or spiritual act of service. And remember, worship is giving our attention, our admiration to something. You know, God desires something from you that no other human being can give. That no, nobody on the face of the earth has what you can give God. And that's your attention. 
That's your admiration. That's your affection. Only you can give that to God by the way you live. Not just what happens here for an hour on Sunday, but by the way you live. Colossians 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. So the key in living a life of worship, reaching up to God with my life, not just in here, is to use my abilities to worship God. And when we use our abilities to worship God, that changes a lot. It changes, it changes how we treat employees. It changes how we treat bosses. And it turns our work into worship. Does that kind of maybe, if you hate your job, does that kind of maybe change the way you'll see it when you go back to work next week is my work, my gifts, my abilities can be worship to God. Can you imagine how a difficult situation could turn into an easier situation if we saw it as worship? How your team at work would be different if you saw the way you treated that team as worship? If you said, God, this job I'm doing, I'm going to do it for you. God, these employees that I manage, I'm going to manage them for you. This boss that I have to follow, I'm, I'm going to follow him for you. No matter what you do for a living, that will bring a fresh new perspective to it. What God is saying is he wants to be involved in every area of our life. Every one. God doesn't want worship to just be a church thing, just a Sunday morning thing. God, God says, invite me in to the whole thing. All the other hours of the week, invite me into that. It's not what you do that matters, but who you do it for. What would your marriage look like if today you started saying, I'm going to treat my husband or my wife the way God would. I'm going to let my relationship with my husband or wife be worship to God. What would your marriage start to look like if you saw that union between you and your spouse as worship? Because that's what it is. What would your relationship with your children look like if you didn't just try to raise good kids, but if you saw that as a way to reach up to God and worship him by the way you parent your children? What if as children, you look at your parents and you think the way I'm going to worship God is the way I'm going to honor my parents? Wouldn't that change when they ask you to do something? All of our life can be worship. How would your schoolwork change? You said, this test, it's for God. <laughs> I'm going to do it for God and I'm going to study for God and I'm going to take it for God and how would that change? It would change the whole way we see our lives if worship wasn't something we went to, but worship was something we lived. That's why we're talking about reaching up today. That's why we're talking about reaching up first. It's because if we don't get the part of worship being our life as everything we do as being potential to reach up to God then reaching in and reaching out really won't have a lot of impact until we understand that everything we do, the reason we do everything is to bring glory, to bring admiration, to focus attention not on us, but to God. For the Christ follower, everything you do that's, that's not sinful is worship. 
to God. You know, today you might be thinking, I've never worshiped God with my life. I've got this hour thing down and and I I get that, but I I don't know how to do that. Or maybe you're here for the very first time and, and you're thinking, what's he talking about? I thought church and worship and all that was this one hour on Sunday. Just keep coming. Just keep coming, keep learning, keep listening and take little steps, take manageable steps and you will be able to turn your entire life in to worship. And no matter how small of a step you can take today, God accepts it. Remember when your children started to walk and you were just thinking, one step, just come on, give me, give me one step. And then you turn the video camera off and they take the steps, usually how it works. God is saying, just take one step, one little step up towards me and that will please him. If you feel like relationships in your life are not God-honoring or not worshipful to God, then take one step in those relationships. Just one step. And God will be worshipped and honored by it. If something's going on at work that, that you just don't see how that could be pleasing to God, then take one little step to take it closer to being worshipped and God will accept it. Every week at LifePoint, we do several things that are saying to God, God, because you've done this, we're going to do this. We sing because God loves us, so we're going to sing back to Him and sing praises to Him. We take communion every week because we want to remember, we want to honor Jesus' request to remember Him. And every week we give. We give money back to God. And that is worship. Giving back to God, spiritual act of service, that is worship. And as the offering buckets come down, the amount doesn't matter. But what matters is giving from the heart. Jesus never mentioned an amount that he wanted us to give. He just said to give generously as you've purposed in your heart. Today, as we prepare to leave, allow your life to be a life that reaches up, even if it's one little tiny step that you need to take. And leave here not having, not just having worshiped, but leave here and worship.